from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Mary, I am the introducer of a fellow Southerner. I'm pleased to do that. My name is Andrea Roan. I anchor the morning news at Channel 9 if you're from the Washington, D.C. area. And if you're visiting, we'll be there tomorrow morning starting at 425 talking about this wonderful event. And what a glorious afternoon this is. You don't want to hear a lot from me. You want to hear from our first author. She is a daughter of the South, born and raised in Mississippi, lives in Arkansas, but her books are read and devoured by fans worldwide. Charlene Harris has given us such entertaining characters as Aurora Teagarden, Lily Beard, Harper Connolly, and of course, Sookie Stackhouse, which in turn gave birth to HBO's True Blood. She has been rewarded with countless nominations and awards, including the Agatha Award for Best Novel, the Anthony Award for Best Paperback, a Locus Award nominee for Best Fantasy Novel, and winner of the first ever Straight for Equality Award for Literature. And I bet you didn't know Charlene Harris is an Olympian. Oh, or at least that's how she feels being here at the National Book Festival. <laughs> So please give a gold medal welcome to New York Times bestselling author, Charlene Harris. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here today. Being uh, invited to this is a great honor, and I am very glad to see you all turned out today. I'm going to tell you how I got to this point in time, and then I will answer your questions, probably truthfully. <laughs> I grew up in Tunica, Mississippi, which at the time was the poorest county in the United States. The library did not circulate. It had whatever books were donated, and that was it. Uh, growing up in a society that has free and circulating libraries is a tremendous privilege that we should not ever take for granted. I'm glad to say that the library in Tunica is much improved now. <laughs> And as a matter of fact, my mother was a librarian. So this is a subject that's really close to my heart. I'm here today because I was one of those moody, misfit children uh, who never quite fit in with her friends. I had to have friends because there were only 30 of us in my class at school. Uh, but I always had the typical feeling of being misunderstood, of being an outsider and of wanting to live in a bigger world. Luckily, I was able to do that. Um, I went to a wonderful college. I graduated with no marketable skills whatsoever. <laughs> I went to work for an offset newspaper in a dark room making $1.60 an hour. And I, when I got a nickel raise, I was really excited. Uh, when I married my current husband, <laughs> my current husband of 33 years, 
he gave me the opportunity to stay home and write full time. And today is his birthday. For many years, he referred to my writing as a heavily subsidized hobby. <laughs> he does not feel that way now. <laughs> I started out writing conventional mysteries, and this is how I first got published. I hope none of you have old rotten vegetables on hand to throw, because people really hate me after I tell this story. Uh, I went, well, for one year, I lived in St. Louis, I was in a creative writing class, which that one year was taught by Shannon Ravenel Purvis, whom you may know as the woman who founded Algonquin Press. Uh, Shannon had just quit working for Houghton Mifflin that year, and she thought what I wrote in the class was good enough to be recommended to Houghton Mifflin, and that book got published. Hate me now. But it didn't go that smoothly after that. The book sold modestly. It was a book called, and I didn't title it, Sweet and Deadly, which sounds like something the Food and Drug Administration <laughs> would put out. Uh, I wrote another standalone after that, A Secret Rage, which is still one of my favorite books I ever wrote. But after that, I started having children and honestly, it was like no one else had ever had children before. Uh, I was late in life uh, starting a family, and I just rolled in it, and I didn't work for about five years. Uh, I was so miserable after that that I thought, I just, I have to write. I felt like I was in a box. Uh, unfortunately, by then, Hope Mifflin wasn't really that interested. I didn't have an agent. Uh, it had never really occurred to me to worry about this because things had been easy for me. But I had a really good writing friend named Barbara Paul who wrote some amazing mysteries and some amazing science fiction. And she said, well, my agent might take you on. So I talked to him on the phone, sent him copies of my old books, uh, sent him copy, a copy of the book I was writing then, and he is still my agent. I've had him longer than I've had my daughter. So, <laughs> and uh, his name is Joshua Bilmes. He's with, he was with Scott Meredith then, which is a huge agency. But now he's formed his own agency called Jabberwocky. In case you were thinking of asking me, that's where he is. Also, uh, that year, I got the first Aurora Tea Garden book published by Walker, which at that time was still publishing mysteries. Walker was like the bargain basement of mystery writing. Walker covers were three colors. They were infamous in the publishing industry. Some people would not shelve Walker books because the covers were so bad. And you didn't even get to pick the three colors uh, you know, it, it was three, like, almost random cover colors. And, but my editor then was Janet Hutchings. She was working at Walker then. And as some of you probably know, for many years now, Janet Hutchings has been the editor 
of Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine. So we were meeting each other very early in our career. Unfortunately, Janet got the offer for Ellery Queen while I had another book under contract with Walker, and they hired Michael Seidman to take her place. He is a, a well-known mystery editor, and a lot of people have had wonderful experiences with Michael, but what can I say? We just hated each other. <laughs> so I wrote the, my second book under contract with Walker pretty much to get out of the contract, and I'm afraid the book kind of reflects that. Uh, after that, I was lucky enough to move to, gosh, oh, I put an Episcopal priest in the third uh, Aurora Tea Garden book, and very fortunately for me, Suzanne Kirk at Scribner had just married an Episcopal priest. <laughs> Serendipity again. Uh, so I got picked up by Scribner for a while. Uh, the Lily Bard books uh, were picked up by St. Martin's. But then, you know, stuff happens. Uh, Suzanne had to cut her list by 50%, and her handwriting was on my wall. So I got cut. Um, I lost my paperback deal for the Lily Bard books, which effectively kills the series. So I was thinking at that point in my career, what shall I do? And I thought, why don't I just write the book I always wanted to write? It would be great if I could appeal to a broader readership than just mystery readership. What about if I, if I had an element of the fantastic and then I would pull in science fiction readers? What if I had an explicit sex scene and drew in the romance readers? <laughs> Honestly, I would have put in directions on assembling an engine if I had thought it would help sales. <laughs> but the result turned out to be dead until dark. Well, thank you. That was not the initial reaction at all the publishing houses. My agent tried to sell dead until dark for two years. Yeah, I know. Is this not a neener, neener, neener moment? <laughs> uh, after that two years, um, John Morgan at ACE decided it might be good because they were also publishing Laurel K. Hamilton, who was also writing crossover books. So ACE kind of cornered the market on crossover very early. Following true to the pattern, John Morgan then left ACE. My editors almost always leave, but now my editor there is Ginger Buchanan. I've had her longer than I've ever had any editor anywhere. I mean, she didn't leave to go back to college. She didn't leave to get married. She didn't leave to work in the comic book industry like John did. Uh, she didn't leave to become a lawyer. So uh, Ginger and I have been together now for quite some time. I'm still with Ace. Luckily for me, uh, thanks to the success of the Sookie series, all my books are back in print and easily available for purchase. Uh, and uh, after about the fifth book in the Sookie series, I had three offers for uh, movie rights, which is enviable also 
uh, and one of those was Alan Ball. And my agent said, you have to talk to all of the people. So I did, though I was thinking, you know, Alan Ball, unknown producer, Alan Ball, unknown producer, Alan Ball. Uh, but the day Alan called me, I'm sitting in my office in Arkansas thinking this is just the most surrealistic moment of my life. The other surrealistic moment was when Ann Rice friended me on Facebook. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> so Alan called me and we had a long conversation. And he said, do you see movie or TV series? And I thought, TV series would last longer. <laughs> so I said, TV series. He said, that's the way I see it. He said, and who do you see as a good host for this series? And I thought, ooh, sex and violence. HBO! <laughs> He said, that's the way I see it. <laughs> I thought, so far, so good. <laughs> so let me tell you ahead of time, before you ask me, I don't write the scripts. I don't uh, approve the casting. That is Alan's job, and he is more qualified than I am to do it. I don't, I'm not interested in writing scripts. Um, I'm not interested in casting actors. He knows what he's doing. And I think the, pro the product on the screen has proved that. Yes, I don't mind that the story's deviating. My book sales go up anyway. <laughs> I'm friends with some of the actors, which is something else I never thought would happen in my life. Uh, and when you say, you know, I can email Joe Manganiello anytime I want to. <laughs> cool for a 60-year-old broad. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, so I'm just happy with everything. Um, as you probably know, next year will be the 13th Sookie. That will be the end of the series. But I'll start writing something else. Uh, I'm already writing uh, the first book in a new series that will be coming out in 2014. So uh, I just have reached the point where I've said what I had to say about Sookie, and I'm very determined not to keep on writing a series when I've run out of gas. You know, I just, I've written it. It's done. Thank you. Readers keep saying, but you could write anyway. Well, yeah, I could if I wanted to run down the character who has done me so much good for so many years. So that's how I got here today, and I will be glad to answer your questions. You see these microphones? If you will line up at those microphones, I will alternate uh, answering each one, and I will almost always be truthful. Hi, um, I was just wondering, who, who is your favorite character of all the characters you wrote? Who's your favorite to write? My favorite character to write? Well, it's always fun writing Pam. <laughs> oh. She's so ruthless. <laughs> uh, I love writing characters who are totally what they are. And Pam is ruthless and a great fighter. And that makes her a lot of fun to write.
Ma'am, I'm waiting for your question. Sure She's going to go first. Go ahead, honey. I'd like to know how you write. Do you sit down like for two or three hours or do you uh, get up early in the morning or write late at night or? I never do anything late at night. Uh, I'm very um, set in my ways. I get up in the morning, I go to work in my office. I work from uh, 8.30 or 9 to noon. I take half an hour to an hour break for lunch. I go back to work and I work till four. Now, not all of that is, is writing original things. Uh, I also have other duties uh, because I'm a business now. I mean, I'm Charlene Harris Incorporated. Uh, and there are things that I have to talk to my agent about every day. There are decisions I have to make. Uh, there are people I have to talk to and approvals I have to give. So it's not all original writing, but I do work pretty much all day, every day, every day. Yes, sir. Um, I've read all the Sookie books. I'm a real big fan. I look forward to reading some of your other works. Um, I think I'd read, uh, maybe even on your website, that you're uh, a warden, I think the term is, or an official mm -hmm. with your local Episcopal church. Mm -hmm. um, how does your, uh, your Christian faith... Uh, find its way into the books. I'm not talking explicit doctrine, but like you're a Christian worldview. Does it, does it impart anything to the worldview in the books? Certainly. Uh, I believe that it does. Uh, I am a Christian. Um, I certainly have doubting moments like everyone else because this isn't an easy thing to be. Uh, I wish I, sometimes I wish I wasn't, uh, but I am. Uh, I think that Suki's reflection on how she's living with the things she's done and what she's prepared to do to ensure her survival are my version of uh, self-examination, uh, the fact that it, it bothers me sometimes that in so many books people don't examine their own behavior and the consequences, the spiritual as well as physical consequences of what they do. So I do think that's, that's very strongly in the, in the Suki books especially. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I love Suki, of course. She's wonderful, my favorite. However, I did want to ask you about the Lily Bard. Well, there will be no more Lily Bards, correct? Is that? There, I don't think I'll ever write another Lily Bard. Okay. <laughs> uh, it came from a very dark, awful part of my life, mm -hmm. and I kind of wrote the books to exercise that. Mm -hmm. And I feel I'm not tempted to revisit that. Uh, it was it was interesting, but those books were so. Lily doesn't have a sense of humor. God bless her. That's true. And it's really hard for me to write a character that does not have a sense of humor. You know, I would say something funny in the books. I would go, no, cut it out, down. <laughs> yes, I like the the quirky with humor. She was quirky, and I like quirky, but quirky with humor is better. It's so, better, yes. yeah. It's certainly more fun to write. Thank you. Well, this is sort of a little bit along the similar vein. Um, I love the Suki books. Started with the first one, um, but I'm getting into Harper Connolly. Are there going to be any more Harper Connolly books? You know, if I had a great idea, I would write another Harper Connolly. <laughs> I just. <laughs> I think there are other fans. I, th I think there would be a market for that. Uh, but right now, I just I didn't have any ideas for Harper. She will show up in the first book of the next series. Okay. So, 
you, you'll at least get to wave at her. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. Um, I'm a big Sookie fan, and um, you confirmed recently that we would hear from other character point of views in the final book. Mm -hmm. um, something oh, cool. you haven't done in the first 12 books or the short stories. It's exclusively Sookie's point of view. And right. I was wondering if you'd be willing to shed any light on why that might be necessary to tell Sookie's story in the end and who we might be hearing from. Okay, I can answer part of that, but not all of it. No, I won't tell you who you'll be hearing from. <laughs> but it turned out to be such a complex story. Sometimes I have trouble figuring out my plots. But it turned out to be such a complicated story where you had to know what other people were doing that Sookie didn't need to know. She wouldn't ever know this. But I thought the reader had to know what was happening behind the scenes to get everyone to the final point. Because otherwise it would just be like a killer showing up on the last page that you'd never seen before. And I thought, you know, that's pretty much cheating. <laughs> so I had to insert other points of view. Thank uh, you. You're welcome. Hi. Hi. One of my favorite characters has always been Sam Lot, And in a way, he's a linchpin of the whole series. Um, I have a private theory that Sam and Sookie are going to end up together, but I know you probably can't answer that for another eight or nine months. But is there any... He's kind of been there all along. There have been little significant scenes all along. Of course, the end of book 12 is a huge, huge hint that way. Anything you can comment on the Sam and Sookie? <laughs> oh, do you feel that way? <laughs> uh, no, of course I can't hint. I know, uh, I'm sorry. You know, uh, I want the book sales to be up. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um... I, I, there's no way, and let me say this here, uh, there's no way I can write an ending to a series that is 13 books long and make everybody happy. Mm -hmm. I am writing the ending I have known from the beginning I was going to write, and you know, take it or leave it. <laughs> Could I ask an alternate question? Where does the character of Sam come from? Like, what inspires you, or what was the original inspiration for Sam? The original? Gosh, I'm... Well, so he had <laughs> to have a boss. Yep. And I thought it would be more interesting if he was a nice guy. And everyone in the Sookie <laughs> books has secrets. Yeah. Everyone has secrets. Uh, and Sam's, of course, was that he was one of the few remaining shapeshifters. And I thought that made him more interesting also. That he, he wanted Sookie to know, but he didn't want her to know. Uh, and he always thought she was, looked fabulous in that uniform. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Hi. Hi. I love your Sookie series. I pick it up and read it over and over again. Um, Yay. I'm a Southern girl. I grew up in Alabama and spent a lot of summers in Lafayette, Louisiana. And when Sookie talks, she sounds like me. Oh, thank you. So I get her. And I, I only really know a little bit about where you've been in your life, Arkansas. And I wonder, are, have you always been a, an Arkansas girl? What else influences your Southern knowledge? Well, I grew up in Mississippi. Uh, I've lived also in South Carolina, and I've lived in Arkansas. I live now in Texas. So I'm a true daughter of the South. Uh, and it's been interesting to see the accents on the show, hear the accents on the show, 
as they kind of develop from generic southern accents to probably uh, more specific southern accents. Uh, when you said that about rereading, let me tell you about a threat I got on my website. This woman said, if Suki doesn't end up with Eric, I will never reread your books again. <laughs> I thought, I guess I can live with that. <laughs> I will not make that threat. You oh, keep on talking you. that way, I will listen. Oh, thank you so <laughs> thank much. You. Hi. I was just wondering if, because the show deviates so much from your books, are you able to just sit back and enjoy it like the rest of us? And how do you feel about the characters that you created living out these stories that you didn't create? I feel okay when I look at my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we get screeners ahead of time. Uh, Alan's office is very good about sending me the episodes, not always a lot ahead of time because sometimes they, get, they prepare them at the last minute, but I usually get them two or three days, two or three days ahead of time. And we sit and watch it and we kind of go, hmm, where did that come from? Uh, and I'm thinking, I'm so glad that I'm not having to write the next episode because I have no idea what they're going to do, <laughs> how they're going to get Billeth. Uh, <coughs> what they're going to do with that. We're sitting there going, okay, I'm glad it's not up to me. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. You know, writers are invariably readers, so I'm just curious if there's an author that you love that would surprise us that you would ever read that. Oh, yes, probably. Um, I always recommend books on my website. There's a feature called Book and Blog. I don't know if any of you visit. Thank you. Uh, I only talk about writers I like because there's enough. I mean, just read Amazon reviews if you want to hear unreasoning negativity. Uh, I don't ever look at those again anymore. They don't have to sign their name. I sign my name. Um, I, there are lots of writers I just love. I'm a big Jane Austen fan. For example, uh, Barbara Pym, love her books. Uh, one of my favorite books is Mrs. Gaskell's Cranford. I must have read that ten times, so I think that's kind of weird. Uh, but I do read a whole lot of contemporary writers, and uh, Lee Child is a big favorite of mine. Uh, the great thing about being me now is that I get to meet people who write the books that I love so much, and I'm just a total fangirl, total fangirl inside. Hi, Charlene. Uh, first, an observation. Uh, you're out here in the sunlight. And you really don't look like a vampire for the way that you write. I just, I, it's kind of hard to do that. Now the serious question, okay? You spoke, and it comes, a lot of writers have that, the outsider, the misfit when they're young. They use it almost to exercise their demons. But at the same time, they're helping others. As a teacher for way too many years who encourage kids to read anything and everything they could get their hands on, uh, a lot of young people would be interested in your book for any number of reasons, either from the HBO, which they're not supposed to be watching, but they do, <laughs> from the books themselves. So I really have a two-part question. Have you given any consideration, so many people are doing young adult, and I don't mean that, but 
those books do help, but going even more in that direction. And secondly, and maybe more importantly, have you run in, coming especially from the South, have you run into any censorship problems that you're aware of where maybe a teacher has written you or someone has written you saying, you know, I encourage the kids, and how would you respond to that? Um, I have never heard from anyone who did not think my books were appropriate, which is, is good. Uh, a lot of young people do read my books, uh, especially young people who feel a little alienated. Uh, I was really proud to get the uh, Straight in Literature Award from uh, at a, a great organizational banquet where they support gay rights. Uh, I think that's a very that's a very strong theme in my work uh, that people are all people regardless of their orientation. Um, and please don't ask me if that was on purpose. <laughs> people say, oh, there's a theme in your books. Did you write that on purpose? And I'm, well, yeah. <laughs> I am conscious of what I'm doing. Uh, as far as uh, appropriate ages for the books, people mature at all different rates now. Uh, I've seen people I thought were way too young reading my books, and I think that's where parental observation uh, should play a very large part. Parents should be aware of the sexual and especially the violent content of the books their kids are reading, and they should form their own judgment about whether that's appropriate for their child or not. Generally speaking, I feel that if kids want to read, you should let them read. Hi, just wondering if you can give us a little hint about what your new series is going to be about. Well, I can give you a limited hint. Uh, the, the first book is called Midnight Pawn. Can you understand my accent? Because in Australia, they totally didn't get it. P-O-N... P-A-W-N, Midnight Pawn, uh, and it takes place, it's set in Texas at a, a crossroads, because crossroads are always magical, of course, and it, uh, obviously, there's a pawn shop. Uh, it's going to be told from multiple points of view. Some of them are male, and it is going to have a small element of the supernatural. Uh, it's going to be a little more of a mystery. So that's what I can tell you about that. But it does have characters from every series I've ever written. Interesting. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Thank you. Hi, I'm a huge fan. Um, and I just found out about 10 minutes ago that this is going to be the last Sookie book, so I'm crushed. If that's oh. the last book, are you going to um, continue to do any short stories? I've read a couple in like the Death Takes a Vacation book collection. Are you going to continue to do Sookie short stories? Uh, no. Just done completely? Uh, when I'm through, I'm through. Okay. Uh, there is a new Sookie short story in, let me do my public service announcement here. That is my personal service announcement. <laughs> uh, uh, I just had an anthology come out that I edited with Tony Kellner, uh, an apple for the creature. And it's about schools and supernatural creatures, obviously. And the story in that is an original Suki short story called Playing Possum. Okay. I will, I will look for that then. Thank okay. you. Okay. Hi. I 
Huge fan and um, grateful that you're here today. When reading the books, it kind of came out of nowhere when you went into the whole disaster preparedness, when they were, there was the whole FBI and everything. Was that kind of breaking into what was going on in the country at the time or anything? How did that come or was that just another kind of like, let's get some more reach out for different people as well? Uh, the that book was what was the name of that book that I know by numbers I think it was the sixth book the sixth book probably <laughs> it had the word dead in it oh. <laughs> that was my publisher's idea um, it was uh, really it just seemed a logical progression that if there was a hate group they would target that hotel and they would target it when there were the most vampires in it uh, and it gave me also the opportunity to write about a big explosion, which I had always wanted to do. <laughs> and incidentally, to write the scene where they're flying out of the window on the coffin, which was also which awesome. something I had wanted to do. Uh, so I just felt really good about that. And I also wrote about that night from another point of view. I wrote a Dahlia Lindley Chivers short story about that, uh, which is, I can't remember the name of the anthology that's in. Dolly is my other vampire, it's so much fun to write about because she doesn't hold any reverence for anything human at all. Uh, it's fun to write about ruthless characters. I think that one other question is, when early on in the series, I had heard somewhere that you were kind of surprised by how many people like latched onto the concept of Sookie and Eric versus like Sookie and Bill. Yeah. Like you were shocked by that. I was. Really? Not, well, I, yeah, I was. <laughs> I mean, it, it just seemed like a, a romance construct that they would like the alpha blonde. And I thought, but you know, that's not the way I write. I write shades of Oh, no, I'm not even going to say that. <laughs> Forget that phrase. Uh, I don't write black and white. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi. Do you feel that watching the HBO series influenced the way you write the characters or write the books towards the end of the series? Once you were starting to watch that, do you feel there was any influence from having watched that series in the way you wrote the books? At, well, lately. at first he was, he was showing what I had written in the past, so that right. was no issue. It was when he started deviating that I had to, every now and then I had to sit and think about whether it had happened in the books or happened in the movies, especially if it was a book I hadn't read in a while. And weirdly, every time I go somewhere and I've got a book with me, people would say, oh, you're not reading your own book? And I'm going, no. Not so much. Uh, I usually read other people's books. Uh, so I'm, I'm not, I don't always remember in detail what happened in a past book, which got me, and this is a, a side trip, okay? This got me into a trouble when I was in Portugal because there's a character in one of the books, a werewolf, named Joe Portugal. I had completely forgotten about him because he shows up and then he gets killed. But that isn't the way they feel about him in Portugal. And they were saying, oh, what was your motivation for writing Joe Portugal? What was he like? And I'm going, I'm looking at my assistant and she's going. I thought, okay, okay, come up with something really quick. I said, because he was so brave and strong. <laughs> 
I'm sure they didn't pick up on that. Uh, Anyway, your original question was, I'm sorry, I about took... About how the, watching the HBO series had influenced, yeah. if in fact it had at all. I was just more thinking of sort of the level of violence and sex in it in terms of what, uh, the book where uh, I couldn't, I couldn't Yeah, I could never put as much sex in the books as they have in the show. Because the, the, the books are just from Sookie's point of view. They're not from the point of view of all the other characters who have such very active sex lives in the show. Uh, and... That, has, that is really the big difference between the show and the books. We see so many points of view. They've developed those characters a lot more, which I never had to do because I'm writing from Suki's point of view. How did you decide the first time to put pen to paper to say, I'm going to write it down? Did you, were you writing for an audience, or did you decide, I just need to get this out and on paper? You know, it was so long ago. I've been published now for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> Think of how all that makes me feel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't really remember, except I was compelled to do it. I was compelled to write. I was sure that I would find someone who wanted to read it. Uh, it's, if you want to write novels, you are compelled to find someone who will read them. <laughs> That's all, and, and I don't think you can acquire the talent. I think the talent is born in you. Uh, if I trained for years, I could never sing opera. Uh, I could just become maybe passable better. And to me, that's the difference between a born writer and someone who learns their craft. Thank you. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I just want to say, I love watching Sookie read your books in the show. It's awesome. <laughs> that is fun, isn't it? That's fun. Yes, sir. Have you seen the comic book series? And if so, uh, do you enjoy them? And what do you think of them in that medium, your characters in that medium? Okay. I'll tell you why I don't read the comic books. Because HBO owns all the marketing rights to all the Suki paraphernalia, and I don't make a penny off of the comic books. <clears throat> and if you sense a recurring theme of money, uh, that's, you know, that's just part of the business. Uh, the Harper Connolly comic books, on the other hand, I have a lot of input on those, and uh, they're part of, you know, they're part of the things that benefit me. Uh, and right now, Chris Golden and I are writing a comic book, a graphic novel called Cemetery Girl, which will be out next year, and it is original material. It's, we're going to write it in three parts, and I am very, very excited. I've learned a new trade or skill, maybe. Uh, the artist is Don Kelly, and I have seen the first few pages, and I am just knocked over by this. It's going to be so good. Thank you. Thank you. I don't actually watch True Blood, because one thing, I don't get HBO. Okay. I, I love Suki, as she is, and I guess I'm kind of glad I don't watch True Blood. But I also love Aurora. You Thank ever, you. Are you ever going to write Aurora again? You know, I always say I will if I ever find time. Finding time is something I haven't mastered yet. <laughs> 
I, uh, I seem to be pretty busy, but I would really enjoy writing another story about her if I could carve out five or six months. Okay. Sookie is 13 book series. HBO loved it, and look at the success. Are they interested in any of the other characters you've created, even though those book series are much uh, shorter? Um, not HBO, but I've had two options on the Harper Connolly books. The first, well, <laughs> don't clap yet. Uh, CBS had an option, they passed. Uh, Sci-Fi optioned them, they passed. So now we're just, you know, we're roaming around looking for a home for the very excellent script written by Cam Miller. And uh, we're, we're still hoping, I'm not giving up yet. And there's been some interest in Lily Bard also. So we will see what happens for every option you, you get. There are like, I think 85% of options never come to anything. But we'll hope that the next one really happens. I'm not holding my breath. Yes, ma'am. Hi there. Um, I'm a really big fan of the Sookie Stackhouse series because I love the crossover elements of it. And um, you mentioned earlier that when you were first thinking of the novels, you really wanted to pull some of that sci-fi audience, that romance audience. And you mentioned in your next book series that you're starting, it's also going to be a little bit of the supernatural. How did you decide when you were thinking about doing a crossover to go the supernatural route? Did you have some kind of influences or some kind of like in say, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something oh, like that? Oh, yeah, who doesn't love Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Uh, what, a, what a wonderfully written show. I'm a big Joss Whedon fan, too. Love Firefly. Yeah. Um, it just seemed to me like that would make it so much more fun. If I had people that had abilities that weren't expected, it would just add another dimension to the books. And I thought that would be not only challenging to write, but I would have to figure out how to make the reader believe. Uh, and I love a good challenge like that. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi, um, I'm in the middle of rereading the books for the third or fourth time. And yes. <laughs> big fan of the Sucky Stackhouse series. And I just wanted to know, um, everything just seems so perfectly planned out. And I didn't know if, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's very, I don't know. Everything just works together so well, and I just wanted to know if you had planned out what the character's evolution would be at the beginning of the books, or if you just kind of let them develop on their own. Um, I'm what's called a, a pantser. That's a writer who flies by the seat of her <laughs> pants. I, I, didn't, I knew how it would end. I knew how it began. But in between, it was just like chapter one, page one. Who's at Sookie's door today? Uh, and it was always a surprise to me, too, uh, the scene in Dead in the Family where they dig up the grave in the woods. I opened that grave three times with different people inside. <laughs> it took me forever to decide who was in there. I'd dig it up, I'd look inside, I'd go, that won't work. <laughs> Cover him back up. You know, dig him up again, look at it again. No, that won't work. So uh, I'm glad you feel like it was all planned. That makes me happy. I covered my tracks. <laughs> and sorry, along with that one, I guess I was specifically wondering with Sookie being um, part fairy, I didn't know if you had 
decided that was why she was telepathic at the beginning or that just kind of developed? Oh, on? no, that was a big surprise to me, too. <laughs> okay, thank you. You're welcome. <coughs> Never try to talk and swallow at the same time. Yes. Um, speaking of the fairies, what kind of inspirations did you use when you were trying to develop how you were going to do the whole fairy culture and everything? I thought about the fairies as being completely um, separate from the Judeo-Christian tradition, which would give them a completely different viewpoint about what happened and about whether humans were worth saving or not. Uh, it was, that was hard to write, uh, a creature that really doesn't care in so many ways. But I saw them as being really interesting and attractive, but very frightening. But I'll tell you, though, Niall has not been in the TV show yet. You know who should play Niall? Who? David Bowie. <laughs> that would be awesome. Would that not be awesome? That, that would be perfect. It would, it would be. You know, sometimes I get these flashes. <laughs> David Bowie. Thanks. Yeah. Hi, Charlene. Uh, my baby boy wants to say thank you for keeping Mama up for all, <laughs> all those many times. Um, I was born in, and raised in Georgia, live in D.C. My husband's from Jersey, so when we first started dating, he thought that Southern meant redneck or trailer. And one of the things that I really enjoyed in Sookie's character and in some of the other books is bringing the Southern element to life, especially Southern women that are prim and proper but can still kick your ass and bury you. <laughs> What are some of the things that you enjoyed? Um, and may I also add, I always laugh at Bill trying to say, Sookie. <laughs> <laughs> Sookie. <laughs> as far as the Southern culture, what are some of the things that you enjoyed bringing into? Because I never would have thought that I could read a, a Southern book about sci-fi. It was, it was great. I thought it would be fun to write about a blue-collar ca character who had to make her own living who had bills to pay. I was tired of reading books where the character never thinks about paying her gas bill, you know, or about whether she needs new curtains in the dining room. Uh, it just, I wanted to anchor it in reality. And that was my way of making Sookie a real person, a real Southern person, uh, a real Southern person with a very low income and family ties. I wanted her to be a, a true, real character because I was going to bring in a lot of supernatural later and I wanted to anchor that series in reality so when I brought in the supernatural characters, people would go, oh, okay, and just go with it. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my question is about the, public, the publishing industry. It seems that... Um, especially since this explosion of the paranormal romance genre, that authors have to come out with one or two books a year sometimes, or three. Is there pressure? Has it changed since you first started? Um, well, yes. Uh, I think it all depends on where you are on the ladder. For so many years, I was stuck in the mid-list, and there is a lot more pressure uh, there because they won't... You know, they'll say, do you want to write a series about this? Do you want to write a series about that? And you have to go, not really. But when I started the Harper series, I couldn't see how I could write a Harper and a, a Sookie 
and get the Harper to take off. They didn't want to throw off the schedule for the Sookie books because I was doing a Sookie book every May. So the only option there was to write two books a year. So I did that for three years. And I've got to say that was three of the most miserable years of my life because normally uh, it takes me about nine or 10 months to write a book. That is my comfortable space. Rachel Kane, who is also Roxanne Conrad, has written four books a year for many years. Uh, and she just seems to be able to do it, and she worked full-time also. Uh, but I'm just not like that. It, it, I just am not that uh, organized, maybe, uh, or industrious. So my natural length is about nine or ten months to write a book. Uh, and I'm much more comfortable with that. So lately what I've been doing is writing uh, the one big book a year and then maybe three or four short stories or a novella. And that's, that's my comfortable space. Thank you. No more questions? Oh, we're out of time. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.